Section 35 of Dangerous Connections. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dangerous Connections by Pierre Coderlo de la Clos. Section 35, letters 171 to 175. Letter the 171st. Madame de Rosemonde to the Chevalier d'Anceny. After what you have brought to my knowledge, monsieur, nothing is left for me but to be silent and to weep. One regrets that one still lives after learning such horrors. One blushes to be a woman when one finds one capable of such excesses. I will willingly concur with you, monsieur, so far as I am concerned in leaving in silence and oblivion all that may have brought about these sad events. I even hope that they may never cause you any other grief than that inseparable from the unhappy advantage which you obtained over my nephew. In spite of his errors, I feel that I shall never console myself for his loss. But my eternal affliction will be the sole vengeance I shall permit myself to obtain from you. I leave it to your heart to appreciate its extent." If you will permit to my age a reflection which is rarely made at yours, it is that, were one enlightened as to one's true happiness, one would never seek it outside the bounds prescribed by religion and the laws. You may rest assured that I will keep faithfully and willingly the deposit you have confided to me, but I ask you to authorize me to give it up to no one, not even to you, monsieur unless it should become necessary for your justification. I venture to believe that you will not refuse me this request, and that you have already realized how often one laments for having indulged in even the most just revenge. I do not pause here in my requests. Convinced as I am of your generosity and delicacy, it would be very worthy of both of these if you were to also place in my hands the letters of Mademoiselle de Volanges, which apparently you have retained, and which doubtless are of no further interest to you. I know that the young person has wronged you greatly, but I do not think that you have thought of punishing her. And were it only out of respect for yourself, you will not degrade the object you have so greatly loved." I have no need to add, then, that the consideration which the daughter does not deserve is due at any rate to the mother, to that meritorious woman in regard to whom you are not without having much to repair. For, after all, whatever illusion one may seek to impose on oneself by a pretended delicacy of sentiment, he who first attempts to seduce a heart still virtuous and simple makes himself from that fact alone the first a better of its corruption, and must be forever responsible for the excesses and errors which ensue. Do not be surprised, monsieur, at so much severity on my part. It is the greatest proof I can give you of my complete esteem. You will acquire fresh rights to it still, by lending yourself as I desire to the security of a secret, the publication of which would do yourself a wrong and deal death to a mother's heart which you have already wounded. In a word, monsieur, I desire to do this service to my friend, 
and if I could be afraid that you would refuse me this consolation, I would ask you to reflect beforehand that it is the only one you have left me. I have the honor to be, etc. At the Chateau de 15th December, 17. Letter the 172nd Madame de Rosemonde to Madame de Volanges had I been obliged, my dear friend, to await and receive from Paris the enlightenment which you ask me for concerning Madame de Martil, it would have been impossible for me to give it you as yet, and doubtless that which I received would have been vague and uncertain. But there has reached me information which I neither expected nor had reason to expect, and this is only too certain. Oh, my friend! how that woman has deceived you i shrink from entering into any details of this mass of horrors but whatever may be reported rest assured it still falls short of the truth i hope my dear friend that you know me well enough to believe my word for it and that you will require no proofs from me let the knowledge suffice you that there exists a mass of them and that at this very moment they are in my hands it is not without extreme pain that I beseech you also not to compel me to give a reason for the advice you ask of me respecting Mademoiselle de Belange. I recommend you not to oppose the vocation she displays. Assuredly no reason can justify one enforcing such a condition of life upon one who is not called to it, but sometimes it is a great happiness that it should be so and you see that your daughter tells you herself that you would not disapprove if you knew her motives he who inspires our sentiments knows better than our vain wisdom what is right for each one of us and often what seems an act of his severity is on the contrary one of his clemency in short my advice which i am quite sensible will afflict you and which from that fact alone you must believe i would not give you unless i had greatly reflected upon it is that you should leave mademoiselle de Valange at the convent since this step is of her own choice that you should encourage instead of thwarting the project she seems to have formed and that in awaiting its execution you should not hesitate to break off the marriage you had arranged after fulfilling these painful duties of friendship, and in the impotence in which I am to add any consolation, the one favor it remains for me to beg of you, my dear friend, is to ask me no further questions bearing in any way upon these sad events. Let us leave them in the oblivion which befits them, and without seeking to throw useless and painful lights upon them, submit ourselves to the decrees of Providence and believe in the wisdom of its views, even where we are not permitted to understand them. Adieu, my dear friend. At the Chateau de 15th December, 17. Letter the 173rd Madame de Volanges to Madame de Rosemonde Oh, my friend! in what a fearful veil do you envelope my daughter's lot and you seem to dread lest i seek to raise it what pray can it conceal which can affect a mother's heart more than the dire suspicions to which you abandon me 
the more i think of your friendship of your indulgence the more are my torments redoubled twenty times since yesterday have i tried to escape from this cruel uncertainty and to beg you to let me know all without considering my feelings and without reserve and each time i shuddered with dread when i remembered the prayer you made me not to question you finally i decide upon a course which still leaves me some hope and i depend upon your friendship not to refuse me what i ask it is to answer me whether i have to a certain extent understood what you might have to tell me not to be afraid to let me know all that maternal indulgence can forgive and which it may not be impossible to repair if my misfortunes exceed this measure then indeed i consent to leave you to explain yourself by silence alone here then is what i know already and the point to which my fears extend my daughter has shown that she had a certain inclination for the chevalier d'ancenis and i have been informed that she has gone so far as to receive letters from him and even to reply to them but i believed i had succeeded in preventing this error of a child from having any dangerous consequences to-day when i dread everything i can conceive that it may have been possible for my surveillance to have been deceived and i fear that my misguided daughter may have set a seal upon her wrong-doing i recall to mind again several circumstances which lend weight to this fear i told you that my daughter was taken ill at the news of m de valmont's misfortune perhaps this sensitiveness was merely due to her thought of the risks m d'ancenis had run in this combat afterwards when she shed so many tears on learning all that was said of madame de merteuil perhaps what i thought to be the grief of friendship was but the effect of jealousy or of regret at finding her lover to be unfaithful her latest course may again it seems to me be explained by the same motive it often happens that one believes oneself called to god only because one has revolted against men finally supposing these facts to be true and that you have been informed of them you may have found them sufficient to justify the rigorous counsel you gave me however if this be so whilst blaming my daughter i should still believe it my duty to try every means to save her from the torments and dangers of an illusory and transient vocation if m d'ancenis is not lost to every sentiment of honour he will not refuse to repair a wrong of which he is the sole author and i am entitled to believe that a marriage with my daughter is sufficiently advantageous to gratify him as well as his family this my dear and revered friend is the one hope remaining to me hasten to confirm it if you can you may judge how desirous i am that you should reply to me and what a terrible blow your silence would inflict note this letter was left unanswered i was about to close my letter when a gentleman of my acquaintance came to see me and related the cruel scene which madame de merteuil underwent the day before yesterday as i have seen nobody for the last few days i knew nothing of this adventure here is the relation of it as i have it from an eye-witness madame de merteuil on her return from the country on thursday alighted at the italian comedy where she had her box she was alone in it and what must have seemed most extraordinary to her no gentleman of her acquaintance presented himself during the performance at the close she entered the withdrawing-room as was her custom it was already crowded 
a hum was raised immediately, but apparently she was not aware that she was the object of it. She saw a vacant place on one of the benches, and went and sat there. But at once all the women who were there before her rose, as if in concert, and left her absolutely alone. This marked sign of general indignation was applauded by all the men, and the murmurs, which even amounted, it is said, to hooting, were redoubled. That nothing might be lacking to her humiliation, her ill-luck had it that M. de Prévent, who had shown himself nowhere since his adventure, should enter the withdrawing-room that same moment. As soon as he was recognized, everybody, men and women, surrounded and applauded him, and he was carried, so to speak, in face of Madame de Merteuil by the crowd, which made a circle round them. I was assured that Madame de Merteuil preserved an appearance of seeing and hearing nothing, and that she did not change her expression, but I think this fact exaggerated. Be that as it may, this truly ignominious situation lasted until her carriage was announced, and, at her departure, the scandalous hooting was redoubled. It is fearful to be related to such a woman. M. de Prévent met with a great reception the same evening from all the officers of his regiment who were present, and there is no doubt but that he will shortly regain his rank and employment. The same person who gave me these details told me that Madame de Merteuil was seized the following night with a violent fever, which was at first thought to be the effect of the terrible situation in which she had been placed. But it became known yesterday that confluent smallpox had declared itself of a very dangerous kind. Truly, it would be a piece of good fortune for her if she were to die of it. They say, further, that all this adventure will damage her case, which is on the point of being tried, and in which they assert that she had need of much favour. Adieu, my dear and revered friend. I see the wicked punished in all this, but I find no consolation in it for their unfortunate victims. Paris, December 18th, 1700 Letter 174 The Chevalier d'Ancenis to Madame de Rosemonde you are right, madam, and certainly I will refuse you nothing within my power to which you attach any value. The packet which I have the honour to forward you contains all Mademoiselle de Volange's letters. If you read them, you will see, not without astonishment perhaps, what a wealth of perfidy and ingenuousness can be united. That is, at least, what struck me most on my last perusal of them. Above all, can one refrain from the liveliest indignation against Madame de Merteuil, when one reflects with what a hideous pleasure she brought all her pains to bear on the corruption of so much innocence and candour? No, my love is dead. I retain nothing of a sentiment so basely betrayed, and it is not that which makes me seek to justify Mademoiselle de Volange. Nevertheless, would not that simple heart, that gentle and pliable character, have been influenced for good more easily even than they were seduced to evil? What young person, issuing similarly from a convent, without experience and almost without ideas, and bringing into the world, as almost always happens then, 
an equal ignorance of good and evil. What young person, I say, would have been able to offer more resistance to such culpable artifices? Ah, to be indulgent, it suffices to reflect upon how many circumstances beyond our own control the terrible alternative between the delicacy and the deprivation of our sentiments depends. You rendered justice to me, then, madame, in deeming that the wrongs of Mademoiselle de Volange, which I felt most keenly, did not, however, inspire me with any ideas of vengeance. It is quite enough to be obliged to renounce my love of her. It will cost me too much to hate her. I needed no reflection to desire that all which concerns and could harm her should remain forever unknown to the world. If I have seemed to delay the fulfilment of your desires in this matter, I think I need not conceal my motive from you. I wish to be sure, beforehand, that I was not to be troubled with the consequences of my unfortunate duel. At the time when I was craving your indulgence, when I even dared believe I had some right to it, I should have feared to have too much the appearance of buying it by this condescension on my part, and convinced of the purity of my motives, I was proud enough, I will confess, to wish you to be left in no doubt of them. I hope you will pardon this delicacy, perhaps too susceptible, in view of the veneration which you inspire in me, and the value which I attach to your esteem. It is the same sentiment which bids me ask of you, as a last favour, to be so good as to let me know if, in your judgment, I have fulfilled all the duties which have been imposed upon me by the unhappy circumstances in which I was placed. Once at ease in this respect, my intention is fixed. I leave for Malta. I will go there to make gladly and keep religiously the vows which will separate me from a world of which, while still so young, I have had such good reason to complain. I shall go, in short, to seek to lose, beneath an alien sky, the thought of so many accumulated horrors whose memory could only sadden and wither my soul. I am with respect, madame, your most humble, etc. Paris, 26th of December, in 17... Letter the hundred and seventy-fifth, Madame de Volanges to Madame de Rosemonde. The fate of Madame de Merteuil, my dear and revered friend, seems to be at length complete, and it is such that her greatest enemies are divided between the indignation she merits and the pity she inspires. I was right, indeed, in saying that it would be a happiness for her to die of her smallpox. She has recovered, it is true but she has been fearfully disfigured, and, in particular, she has lost an eye. You will imagine that I have not seen her, but I am told that she is really hideous. The Marquis de... who never misses an occasion for saying something malicious, said yesterday, in speaking of her, that the disease had transformed her, and that now her soul was to be seen in her face. Unhappily, every one found the expression just. A further event has just come to add to her disgrace and to her prejudice. Her case was tried yesterday, and the verdict was given against her unanimously. Costs, damages, 
restitution of the funds received, all was adjudged to the miners. So that the small remnant of a fortune which was not compromised in this case is absorbed, and more than absorbed, by the costs. Immediately she received this intelligence, although still sick, she made her arrangements, and started off at night, alone and posting. Her servants say to-day that none of them would follow her. It is believed she has taken the road to Holland. This departure makes more noise than all the rest, from the fact that she has carried off her diamonds, a possession of great value, which should have returned to her husband's succession. Her plate, jewels, in short, everything that she could, and that she leaves behind her nearly fifty thousand livres of debt. It is a real bankruptcy. The family is to assemble to-morrow to make arrangements with the creditors. Although only a distant relation, I have offered to contribute, but I shall not be present at this assembly, having to assist at an even sadder ceremony. To-morrow my daughter takes the habit of a postulant. I hope that you will not forget, my dear friend, that, in making this great sacrifice, I have no other motive for being compelled to it than the silence which you have maintained towards me. Monsieur Danceny left Paris nearly a fortnight ago. It is said that he is on his way to Malta, where it is his intention to remain. There would be still time, perhaps, to recall him. My friend, my daughter is guilty indeed, then. You will forgive a mother, no doubt, for only yielding to this awful certainty with difficulty. What a fatality has fallen upon me of late, and stricken me in the objects dearest to me, my daughter and my friend. Who is there who would not shudder, if he were to reflect upon the misfortunes that may be caused by even one dangerous association? And what troubles would one not avert by reflecting on this more often? What woman would not fly before the first proposal of a seducer? What mother could see another person than herself speak to her daughter, and tremble not? But these tardy reflections never come until after the event, and one of the most important of truth, as it is, perhaps, one of the most generally recognized, lies stifled and void of use in the whirlpool of our inconsequent manners. Adieu, my dear and revered friend. I feel at this moment that our reason, which is already so insufficient to avert our misfortunes, is even more inadequate to console us for them. Note Private reasons and considerations, which we shall ever make it a duty to respect, force us to hold here. We cannot, at this moment, give our reader the continuation of Mademoiselle de Volange's adventures, nor acquaint him with the sinister events which culminated the misfortunes, or completed the punishment, of Madame de Merteuil. Perhaps some day it will be in our power to complete this work, but we can give no undertaking in this matter. And, even were we able to do so, we should still deem it our duty first to consult the taste of the public, which has not our reasons for taking an interest in this narration. End of note. Paris, January 14th, 1700 End of section 35 End of Dangerous Connections by Pierre Coderlo de la Clos